Hey there all you cool cats and kittens and welcome back to another episode of Best in Sass, where each week we take you behind the scenes for conversations with some of Silicon Valley's best and brightest operators and investors. Crack a beer, get comfortable, and join us on our quest to find the patterns and playbooks that accelerate the sprint to 10 million of that good stuff, that repeatable stuff, that stuff we call ARR. All right. So today I'm really thrilled to invite someone to the show who has been pretty instrumental in my own entrepreneurial career. Um, Arjun Sethi, he, if I were to rattle off everything that he's done in, uh, in his entrepreneurial journey, we would be here for like 10 minutes listening to the intro, but some highlights, uh, message me, sold to Yahoo, uh, partner at Social Capital and now co-founder of Tribe Capital. Um, if you look into his uh, angel investing background, the list goes all the way back to 2007, and basically every notable company uh, is on that list. So Arjun, super thrilled to have you on the show. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Eli, and I appreciate the time. So um, I'd love to start with with your experience as a founder. You've taken multiple companies through this cycle of post-product market fit to 10 million ARR and beyond. Um, you're no stranger to that process, though you've um, tackled different kind of industries almost each time. So I'd love to just go back to the very beginning and hear you know, the very first time that you ran up against this challenge of scaling your first company post-product post -market, market fit um, and kind of what were the biggest challenges up front and how did you tackle those? Yeah, so uh, the, you know, the 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 best way to think about any company <clears throat> or product you're building, and, and I guess you know specifically to what we're discussing here today is you know our software companies is you know what who, who are the customers and 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 what are you trying to solve? And and I think for most of the companies that people have been building today. If you take a step back, um, you know, over the last 30 years, at least for software products, uh, people were basically making, in some ways, generalized databases and then some sort of generalized application on top of it. And then over time, what you had was these generalized applications and uh, over time, vertical applications that were being built on top of that. And then uh, if you cycle that through, is that people were starting to build verticalized databases for those vert verticalized applications and then, uh, and then building on top of that. And so uh, the, these, these types of uh, cycles really matter over the last 30 years because the types of software companies that have been, uh, uh, been built, um, either core uh, infrastructure or applications on top of that infrastructure and then workflow application software on top of those applications, I, I think is really important to kind of understand where you fit um, in, in that ecosystem and, and who are your customers. So, you know, at, at least for the purposes of this conversation, uh, you know, I can jump straight into, uh, uh, you know, a company that we had started. It wasn't my first company. It was probably the 10th or 11th sort of try, but it was a company called Low Laps. It was called Laughing Out Loud Applications. Um, and, and exactly kind of what it sounds like is uh, we had started building uh, uh, what, I, what I'd say applications that were viral in nature, short-term bursts of uh, dopamine hits, if you want to call it that, uh, that uh, lived and survived on the Facebook application. Sorry, the Facebook platform. And 
uh, they were very viral. They grew very quickly. And, uh, and, and in order for us to grow them uh, and effectively measure how fast we were growing these products, uh, we had to build our own uh, data and analytics infrastructure from the ground up. There wasn't really any cloud services or um, uh, application uh, 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 services and analytics on top of it. Uh, you know, where uh, we didn't have AWS, um, you know, we didn't we didn't have like you know a, a Redshift databases to be able to do like these really fancy queries. Um, we kind of had to start from the ground up, and, and at the time, we were actually using a company called Software, which you know, subsequently got acquired by IBM later. Um, but the, the the hard part of uh, of that time was that we, we were building uh, products for consumers, and these consumers, uh, if if you remember or people remember, were um, they we were uh, building consumer gaming products, which is even has a uh, uh, even shorter half life in some cases where. You are just testing and iterating and building uh, as quickly as possible to just try to find out what your customers want, what they don't want. And if you find any glimpse of uh, uh, up and to the right metrics, you would just double down. <laughs> and that could have been on a, a <laughs> daily basis or a weekly basis. You would just try everything. And, and then over time, and, and, and the reason why that we did that was because the app, the platforms that we were developing on top of were so viral. You know, mobile was viral. Facebook was viral. MySpace was viral. Um, uh, open social was viral in some cases. And so anything you built would, people would start using. Uh, but you need to know, you know, how fast they retained. Uh, I, I think I remember at some point uh, on the Facebook platform, Facebook had made an announcement, which was fairly embarrassing for them, where they said, hey, we have a million application developers on our platform. Guess what? 999,000 of those application developers was us. Our platform allowed any and <laughs> any person that didn't have the ability to code just to to build a quick application. And so these applications were gifts and quizzes. Uh, 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 you know, if you if you know, if you might remember, um, you know, what sex in the city character are you? Um, yep. <laughs> like these were these were these were apps that we uh, we didn't build. But our users built on our behalf and deployed it on our platform, and then we would distribute it back onto Facebook, and, and then we would grow. And, and then over time, we, you know, what we had to do was we had to build our own workflow, our own software, um, our own tools of communication, our, uh, our own analytics uh, in order to deploy these things fast. Uh, and remember, that means we had to vertically integrate all these pieces. You know, SaaS wasn't really starting it. I mean, this was the early innings of. You know, MongoDB hadn't even started yet. Wow. We were from some of the first customers of it, um, <laughs> and it broke all the time. Uh, especially, I think at some point we might have been the biggest customer um, because, you know, we had 300 million monthly active uniques in our platform at our peak. Um, so we Mongo? Were, uh, uh, correct. We would use Mo we were using Mongo, MySQL, you know, old Oracle database, just like everything possible to get stuff up and running. <laughs> um, and I remember at this time, you couldn't really get an application up and running uh, uh, very quickly because you had to spend a, a certain amount of time architecting your database schema, right? Like, which right. we don't think about today, but at that time, <laughs> you know, 10 plus years ago, you did. Uh, so there was a lot of, uh, uh, a, a lot of ops that you just didn't think through. Um, so, so that, so that was a lot of the experience at that time. And, and what was hard was, you know, how do you, how do you expand and contract in an area where you are building games you're trying to build it like a software product, um, but you have people that you have to expand and contract, and you have to build 
uh, workflow software for artists. You have to build workflow software for game designers and game developers. It was like the first time I got like jumped into you know things that were more manual in in labor and processes where we had to kind of just build things and make it up as we went along. Uh, and then over time, as our industry got bigger, Zynga got bigger, you saw all these kind of uh, niche freemium SaaS companies that popped up just for us. Um, uh, of course, there were other companies that were doing it for other parts of the market, but even for our industry, you saw you know, data, data and analytics companies pop up, right? Like we were their primary customers. Uh, cloud services used to go to gaming companies first. I, I don't think people realize it, but you know, I think at some point between us and Zynga and a couple other customers, we might have been like all of AWS's and uh, in, in cloud services capacity, you know, 80 plus percent. <laughs> and, and they hated it because they couldn't service new customers. We just, we just had so much demand. Um, wow. So, so a, a lot of it was just going through these uh, nitty gritty uh, things that uh, you know we, we forget about today because capacity and, and bandwidth and, and storage and retrieval is easier. Uh, but at that time, it, it was much harder. Um, and so, yeah, we I mean, we grew from zero to hundred million in revenue very quickly. Uh, zero to hundred million monthly active uniques um, very quickly. You know, again, peak was about three hundred million. Um, and then we went from gifts and quizzes applications to games to publishing games. We started having micropayments and payment systems within our ecosystem because we weren't just on Facebook. We were on mobile and on mobile, um, you know, there, there wasn't Apple pay. It wasn't, uh, you know, you couldn't input a credit card. We had to do it by ourselves, uh, And so you'd, you'd integrate with so many different providers. Some of them were offers, some of them were advertising, some of them were exchanges uh, to move customers from place to place so that you can, uh, uh, you, you can give them some sort of dual currency situations. There, there are all of these things that we were, pioneering at that time uh, uh, that, in my opinion, kind of led way to a whole host of uh, new types of companies on the enterprise side, you know, you know companies like Slack, um, all the way to uh, uh, data and analytics companies like uh, uh, Amplitude, Kissmetrics at some point in the past, um, uh, Mixpanel. Like the, the, we, we were really early on uh, leveraging and utilizing, utilizing these technologies, but also building them. We ended up, uh, uh, you know, some of my core team members ended up uh, building some of these companies when they left um, the social gaming ecosystem. So, as a, you know, long story short, we, we scaled very quickly, uh, but we went through a lot of hard times uh, because we were in an environment that was non-predictable. It's very similar to the movie industry, very hits-driven, and we, uh, we had to expand and contract. I, I think at our peak, we had almost 1,000 people in our orgs uh, pre- Sorry, uh, post acquisition with a company called Nexon, uh, and then I had to, you know, fire seven hundred people, myself and my uh, executive team. Then we hired a couple hundred more, and then we uh, contracted again. So it's a very, very different, uh, stressful environment. But we were building software, and we were at the, uh, I, I think we were at the forefront of pushing the edge uh, in that ecosystem, uh, at least in the gaming and mobile ecosystem. Before I moved on into building, uh, you know, more traditional software. Uh, consumer products and, uh, and traditional enterprise products where we either we built it ourselves or, or we invested. It's like you built the, uh, uh, not to be cute about it, but you built the, uh, the BuzzFeed quiz like 10 years before BuzzFeed built the BuzzFeed quiz. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was like, what, what, what type of blank are you? Um, yeah, it's I'm, really fun. It's really funny you say that because as much as I'd like to claim that we did that before anyone, you know, before we were on the Facebook platform, people were building these quizzes on the internet, um, on, on the web. And 
you know, and, and I think people forget they have, they have a very short term memory, but a lot of products and a lot of ideas that we have now, even in the, you know, in the, in the SaaS space, they have been thought through before and they've been pitched and they've been talked about, but it's timing, right? Like, sure. An example I give you is that, you know, today it's really easy to say that you need, um, you know, uh, uh, vertical application databases uh, or, or databases that um, are flexible enough for you to be able to do uh, quick iteration testing and releases of products. Uh, you know, but 15 years ago, that would have been considered, um, you know, contrarian uh, or, 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 or very different in contrast to how people were developing. Uh, and then if you go back far enough, uh, and, and so, so timing mattered, right? Which is if you, if you, uh, if you made this pitch 15 years ago, uh, people would think you're crazy. And, uh, and, and, and there's been many, many iterations of the same types of ideas. Um, so, sure. so, and, 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 and I, and BuzzFeed will happen again and, and BuzzFeed was <laughs> successful. And, and I remember when they were coming up and, and I've seen this on, you know, the mobile platforms is the same ideas, uh, in the same types of applications. Every once in a while, you just see this or now through SMS, people are sending quizzes. Um, it keeps coming back. And, and I, I think it's because it's natural human behavior of these types of products people like. If you go back even far enough, it used to be in newspapers. Um, it used to be in, you know, paparazzi style, um, magazines that were, uh, out there where, you know, people would ask, you know, what, what type of character are you and your, your, uh, uh, attributes and characteristics of celebrities. So, so that's not going to change. Gaming isn't really changed. The ideas and concepts are the same. It's just that the medium, the distribution and the quality has changed. So before we move on and talk about your career as an investor and, and some of those companies that you've, um, helped grow as an investor. I'd, I'm curious, uh, you grew up with a family of entrepreneurs, right? Um, yeah, my, my dad had started um, a couple of companies, quite successful. My mom had started and uh, worked in as an executive um, at a couple of startup companies um, and uh, was also you know, quite successful. And then they had a ton of their failures. And, and I lived through it. I watched them build these companies from a garage. Uh, and, and, and it was quite uh, it's quite entertaining, but also quite traumatic uh, because I hadn't I hadn't ever seen anything like that before. Um, and then my cousins were in the ecosystem too, kind of across the board. Because uh, I grew up here in the valley, and a lot of my family was coming from all over the world: India, New York, Canada, Texas. Um, and people that I've never knew in my whole life uh, with similar last names and backgrounds. Um, and then they were either living with us or they were going to school uh, just to come to the tech ecosystem uh, and and either be a part of it or start something. And then you you ended up enlisting in the army, and going into the Department of Defense, right? So from ninety nine to oh three, um, I was actually kicked out of high school. Um, so it's not something I talk about very often. Okay. Uh, but uh, 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 you know, I my friend and I had joined the military uh, army, and it and it was through a process where you call it the buddy buddy program, where you can go through basic in your MOS. Uh, uh, so the designation of what you might do in the military together. Um, and so, so I had done that, gone through basic, it's about 14 weeks. And, uh, and then there's an additional couple of weeks. And, and so what, what really happened was that, um, I was, uh, you know, I, I guess, you know, above average in terms of, uh, testing. Uh, you can call it sort of modern day IQ test. And so I just kept testing out of what they put in front of me, uh, and, and as did my uh, friend and colleague. And so what that really allows you to do is get more optionality. Um, across different uh, departments um, of the military, if you want to call it that, within the United States. And, uh, and that's what kind of really led me into uh, uh, kind of maneuvering my way uh, 
um, and liaising li- uh, liaising with the military, uh, uh, mostly the army, uh, but within the Department of Defense between '99 and '03. Uh, again, this is all pre-homeland security. Things kind of changed uh, post 2001, uh, but that was kind of my experience during that time. Sure. So I'm, I I wonder, like, those are both pretty intense things. Like as a child to grow up with a family of entrepreneurs, as you described, and then to go into the army and have that experience. How do you think that those two things influence you today in whether it's the companies that you started, how you operate or, or the investments that you make and how you interact with, with those companies? You know, the, I, I think from the military side, a lot of people don't really give a lot of credit to what's happened over the last 50 years in, uh, in the history in the United States, right, where you had uh, folks like Bush uh, in, in post-World, I guess during World War II and post-World War II era, uh, where they focused on a lot of uh, 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 R&D and development and testing and iteration and failure was okay in the uh, uh, advancement of understanding what could really be applied to uh, the regular core of the military, right? So, for instance, radar um, <clears throat> uh, was like a like big advent during World War II. We probably would not have won the war without that. Uh, and so, there's a lot of you know, I, I won't go into history, but there's a lot of you know books about like, what had happened there and how did it get incorporated into you know our our defense budgets over time, you know, uh, post World War II as well, and and how much investments we made into this, uh, which ended up leading into you know the. Uh, the modern day internet and, and kind of the beginnings of where um, the internet had started and, and where we are today. Like it, it was all built off of, of what you call, if you want to call it the world of bits uh, versus the world of atoms, um, you know, as sort of P- Peter Thiel kind of defines that world. And, and, and I think if, what you learn is, uh, you know, the military is not too dissimilar to, you know, corporate structure, you know, with politics and, uh, and just the way in which things are run, because it, this is how they have run for, you know, uh, uh, you know, if not tens, hundreds of years in some cases, uh, around a certain structure and order. And then they have different departments. Uh, what I'd say, they take what they call loon shots, where they are investing into the future of what might be incorporated into the overall uh, uh, overall chain station. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I think a lot of some of the best companies have you know, taken parts of these concepts and, and iterated on it and they created their own functional groups and, and departments, if you want to call it that. Um, and, and they mimic a lot of, uh, I would say, mil- military-style organizations. Uh, in some cases, you know, like the East India, British, you know, East India Company was, you know, I would say part, partly militaristic as well as a company, uh, given that they were right. subsidized yeah. and backed by the, the British government. So, so I wouldn't say there's any, you know, one or two lessons from there, except for just you know, if you, if you look at any company around product, market, team, and distribution, um, you know, what are the things that you do that are, you know, keeping the trains running on time? And what are the things you do for scale, if you want to call it zero to one, from one to five to five to 10, uh, in terms of a scale of a business? Yeah, zero to one is really about testing and iteration and trying to figure out how to make something work uh, for your customer. And then one to five is like, I think I found something. Let's see how far I can take it. And then once you've taken it to a certain stage, um, then it's about scale and just, you know uh, a, a repetitive nature. And, and and if you look at venture capital, it's really it's really subjugated that way. You know, people call it pre-seed market and they call it the seed market. Um, and then and if you just if you just listen to those words, you know, pre-seed and seed from a gardening and farming perspective, it just means like you're trying to water something. Water means capital. 
to see how far it may grow. And there's just certain risk associations uh, and, and, and different ways of underwriting that risk at each stage. And, and, and a lot of my experience, uh, luckily, has been on all stages, uh, but more so when we finally get from zero to one, going from one to five to five to 10 has been, I would say, probably more of my time spent over the last, you know, give, give or take you know, uh, seven to 10 years um, at organizations like Lolaps uh, before we sold it to Nexon, Message Me before we sold it to Yahoo, and then scaling Yahoo's uh, portfolio of products as well as starting new ones and, and how to incorporate that uh, into, uh, uh, into Yahoo as an organization as a whole, you know, like how do you do experimentation and innovate while maintaining your core, uh, 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 engagement and, uh, eyeball base, which leads us into revenue. Uh, and how do you, and then how do you get more revenue over time with that base? And then how do you scale something new up and, and how do you do that at a speed at which, you know, most companies are not used to because you have scale and distribution size, et cetera. Sure. So I know you could tell a million stories about the companies you've invested in, but maybe there are one or two where um, even recent investments, perhaps where, where they were focused on that, call it, let's call it the five to 10 sprint. And they, they've done either an exceptional job of it. And, and you could go into why you think that is and how, what, what separates them from other companies who haven't done quite as exceptional in that in that discipline, or even one that maybe struggled initially, but then figured something out or a handful of things out and, and just really unlocked that next level of growth? Yeah, you know, there are, there, there are companies where people say, um, in, in 2020 hindsight, that they got there through X, Y, and Z methods. Uh, and this is why they were successful. And, and I always get a little annoyed with those because, you know, uh, like history tends to get rewritten. And so at, at Tribe as a firm, you know, we use this term a lot internally is that we uh, look to uh, recognize and amplify product market fit. Uh, and we have a quantitative framework to uh, recognize product market fit. It's called the eight ball and called the quantitative approach to product market fit. And um, we utilize all of these frameworks to find N of one style opportunities. N of one being uh, a company that is category defining, uh, 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 you know, monopolistic in nature, um, and is not one of N companies. And what I mean by one of N companies is not like you know uh, a, a company that has you know five, ten, fifteen, twenty competitors, um, and you know uh, for a small amount of seed capital, everyone can kind of do the same thing. A la social gaming, which is where I came from, which is I'd call a one of n market, not an n of one market, where you have a ton of competitors and you're competing, uh, and uh, it, it becomes harder and harder over time. CAC goes up, etc. <clears throat> so, so the so the two companies obviously that we're much more well known for recently uh, are companies like Slack and Carta, uh, where we invested uh, since the uh, early stages of the company. In Slack's case, the Series A post pivot from a gaming company, and then. Uh, for Carta, uh, the Series C, but you know, more like uh, the when the company went from, uh, I, I would actually even make the argument one to five, and now they're at the five to ten stage uh, because they had changed their pricing, changed their product, changed their solutions, um, and it, and it was kind of a restart in the way in which they think. And so we consider ourselves like the early anchors of that uh, uh, of that change and inflection point. If, you know, I, I I like going back to Slack uh, because it helps inform where we come from and what our backgrounds are. So, you know, my partners and myself uh, come from social gaming, we come from Facebook, we come from mobile. Uh, 
and and as I mentioned, the 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 world over the last ten to fifteen years has been moving into cloud services, uh, uh, more data and analytics. Storage has gotten cheaper. Retrieval of that storage has gotten cheaper. Anal- analysis of that data uh, that is being stored has gotten faster, cheaper, better. Um, and so, where do you where do you uh, utilize your data science capil- uh, capabilities on these data sets that are so large? Um, and how do you collect that data? And how do you do it in a way where you become smarter and smarter? Obviously, we've seen that in companies like Facebook, Google, Uber, uh, you know, Slack, etc. Um, uh, 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 you know, Zoom, and and now you're seeing it in the enterprise you know, uh, uh, software space, enterprise infrastructure space, where they are thinking about building their companies very akin and similar to consumer products and companies uh, over the last 10 years. Right? Um, and, and I think that's a major shift and change in mentality. And when you are, and when you are, 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 are doing that, then what, what are the types of patterns you can start gleaning from it? Whereas, uh, you weren't before. So, so to your question, um, you know, what are the types of companies? Uh, uh, we like Slack and Carta for this instance, because these are some of the companies in these verticals that, um, are changing the way you think about, um, verticalized software and software for specific use cases. I, I always go back to generalized database. What is that? Oracle, uh, generalized applications on top of uh, Oracle. What were those? You know, HR systems, financial services. Uh, in some cases, Oracle built out themselves, but then you had other companies start. You know, Work, Workday is a generalized application based off of a generalized database. Um, and then Viva, you know, is a vertically integrated application on top of a vertical application like like Salesforce. And, and I think people don't really get how that works um, and, and why these things in the software ecosystem um, across healthcare, education, finance, um, you know, food, ag tech. The reason we talk about these things is saying, hey, software is going to proliferate or software is going to eat the world um, is because this was traditionally done with pen and paper uh, or if they did move into any advanced state over the last 20 years and moved over to Excel um, or, <laughs> or, or a version of Excel uh, uh, online with rows and columns and, and, they, and they thought of themselves as, as, as tech companies as they evolved. And most people as investors, you know, Wall Street, if you want to call it that as well, didn't think of these companies as tech, but now they are. All of these companies are spending uh, an inordinate amount on IT, an inordinate amount of services to help support that IT. Uh, and that's like almost every company. Um, and so I think like Slack and Carta, you know, Carta being the financial services, Slack being um, uh, on the workflow and communication, you know, uh, akin to email. Uh, are some of the s- uh, first early innings of companies that we've seen. Right? Like Zoom is not a new concept either. Um, and they, you know, you, you had uh, 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 video conferencing solutions through Cisco and a couple other folks before as well, but it was always thought of differently. It was always that nice to have solutions package versus a core business. And now that it becomes a part of our core workflow, uh, and the reason it becomes a part of our work- core workflow is because the size and scale of all of these other workflow products leveraging software has become larger and larger essentially to be able to increase frequency of transactions and then uh, and and reduce the fric- uh, friction of those same transactions. Um, so, f- so for Slack, because of our background in, in Facebook, we just measured quantitatively product market fit. Uh, uh, we saw that it was working very well. Uh, again, and I think this is really important. We, we weren't, we didn't, you know, look Stuart in the eye and said, this is a great entrepreneur and we want to back him. We, <laughs> we looked, we looked at the company and it, we saw core metrics that were really working around engagement, 
retention. Remember, the company didn't have any revenue at this time. They had credits that they were using in order to get customers into the ecosystem, maybe maybe tens to hundreds at the time uh, of company logos uh, with engagement just starting. And and this company at that, at that stage was growing at 20 to 30% on, uh, on, on, a daily, uh, on a daily basis, day over day, you know, and, and starting to get into large numbers on a week to, uh, week, to week basis. That's very different than what you see today. Um, and then what we were able to do is also quantify the network effect between internal communications and external communications within companies, again, akin to email, leveraging these frameworks of where we've been before in the software space. And, um, and, and then for Carta, the same thing, zero to one, uh, you had engagement between employees, engagement between um, the, uh, the, uh, the back office and the management team, and then stakeholders like investors all on the same platform. Uh, you know, uh, if you take revenue out, uh, outside for a second, which is like you have this software, again, vertical, in this case for Carta, uh, generalized database, um, and then eventually a verticalized application with the verticalized database, specifically around uh, equity and shares. Uh, and so then what do you build on top of that? And then they started building uh, software and products for 409A, cap table management, um, eventually uh, management for fund administration, uh, getting into banking and financial services, and, this, and then eventually in secondary uh, transactions, uh, au- auctions. Like what, what I, I don't think people kind of comprehend about uh, companies like that and um uh, like uh, Slack and Carta and what's going to happen in the future in energy and finance and real estate and healthcare is that you're going to see big, big companies like this uh, emerge. Uh, and even small companies that you previously thought as niche are big. You know, uh, they are billion, $5 billion, $10 billion opportunities. But, in, you know, 10 years ago, you might have thought of them as 200 to $5 million opportunities. It's just much larger today because you can go worldwide. You can access a larger set of customers. They are used to purchasing now in this type of pattern and then also used to uh, finding services that uh, uh, bind this pattern. And, and and I think what most people don't realize is that it's really hard to find the timing of the types of companies that will work. And it's really hard to figure out uh, regulatory-wise where you can build. And then uh, and then the businesses that are unregulated, which is are mostly where you see most of the competitive markets, um, where the opportunity lies. Right? Like you yourself have been there and, and, and we have been, the, been there as well, uh, is, is, is what really happens and, and, and what do you have to go through in order to build these companies. And, and I think the, the big opportunities, in my opinion, for the folks that are working really hard in, in these industries are the ones that are actually regulated. As they become solely deregulated over time, uh, uh, it, the, the timing is really important of which ones have become uh, less and less regulated so that you can start building some of these workflows for you know places like healthcare and education. And, and you've seen some early innings there because you know people talk about the fintech SaaS wave uh, over the last uh, seven years, again, er, er, early innings of what we think it might be over the next 20, 25 years. Sure. One of the things I really admire about you, Arjun, is uh, the way that you can look at what I think for most of us seems like a muddy, like just so many different elements, the landscape out there and how much is changing going on. And, and you're just able to see it so clearly and make it more quantifiable. Um, it's always, it's always a pleasure to, to chat with you about this stuff and you make it sound so, so calm and, and straightforward, uh, even though I know it is not that way. So, yeah, um, just, it's a, I mean, it's, I think what's important to note is look directionally, this is the way the world is going, right? People talk about programmable money. People talk about all these industries. Th- those, these are all, um, I'd say 
you know, sub, subset um, uh, economies, if you want to call it that, where you spend your time. And it's hard. And to be clear, starting a company is hard. Finding the customers to pay you is hard. Finding customers to engage with you is really hard. Um, and anyone who goes from zero to one, forget even venture scale, anyone who gets that, like that's commendable. Uh, just to be able to create even some sort of cash flow or cash management uh, of growth. Right? Like getting from zero to one is hard. And, and, and that by definition is growth. And so what you really need to ask after that is, okay, well, can I go from, you know, Paul Graham says you, need, you only need to have 100 customers and then you can scale something. Well, that is true to a certain extent. You want to get 100 customers that love you, but you want to know if you can find the next 100 and the next 1,000 <laughs> that can do the same thing. But you got to start somewhere. Uh, and, and I think the, what, what, you know, what a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of angel investors have said here in the Valley over time is find that first niche, find something that's just starting to work, and then see how far um, uh, uh, and possible it is to scale it. Um, and and in some cases you don't need to do that, and that's okay too. You know, there there has been the bootstrap movement of let's like, just start the company on your own and get your customers and have them pay for a cycle uh, 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 and cycle your cash management to continue to invest in growth. And those models work too. They're just slower, and that's the whole point. Is they're slower. They could be more sustainable. They may not be more sustainable. It depends. You know how you want to define small to medium business. But the whole goal is now that. Software is pl- proliferating everywhere, small to medium, mid-market, enterprise uh, customers to the customer. Uh, and, and there's no differentiation now on what direct-to-consumer means. Right? Like right. If, if you were selling, like Dropbox was selling to a small to medium business or they're selling to consumer, but if they're using it for their personal and professional life, what's the, what's the demarcation? There's not a right. lot. Uh, and, and so there's a lot of things where you see that too, right? Where you know, I, I've invested in... Um, uh, uh, a couple of restaurants here locally. Um, they're most of my friends. It's, it's not something that I do professionally. Um, and they use Slack internally to communicate, but then they also use Slack and uh, WhatsApp and Telegram to communicate with their family. And then with some parts of their staff, they use Telegram to communicate. Everyone's using different software pieces to get their businesses rolling. And so the question you have to ask is, at different stages of these businesses, what are the types of um, uh, software that you build or um, vertically integrated workflows that you build to help augment these types of businesses. And I always go back to the the, the core pieces that uh, I mentioned before, generalized databases, generalized applications versus verticalized applications and um, uh, 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 verticalized databases, how they all interrelate together. And, and, and where do you sit on that stack and what are you building and how large can that become? Um, and sometimes kind of Quantifying things into just very simple areas uh, makes a big difference for how you spend your time and and, and where you uh, put your investment in dollars, investment in time, and investment in human capital. Sure. So as we wind this thing down, this has been incredibly in- insightful, and I'm, I'm sure our listeners are um, are going to really be able to take the way that you think about the world and and find new ways to leverage that with the work that they're doing with their businesses or, or the companies they're starting. I'm curious who has been influential in your life, whether mentors or even colleagues or peers who you think are just doing fantastic work out there in industry. You know, I, I, I've always taken this approach of uh, a couple of things. One is the people that I admire and, uh, and the concepts. I, I try to understand where they come from and how they came up with those concepts in the first place. Um, and and what 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 was the constraints or the opportunities of how they were growing up in their experiences that led them to build these mindsets? Um, and so you know 
and I know this sounds cliche, but you know, one's my dad. He built a company um, in the enterprise infrastructure space, you know, hardware. What were the things that led him to believe that those things were important at that time? The frameworks that he used to be successful. You know, obviously, folks like you know Mark Andreessen, Peter Thiel, other investors in the ecosystem that have you know started firms from scratch, uh, just like I have, or have started companies from scratch, just like I have. I, I always like to meet with them. But uh, honestly, the people that I actually admired the most are some of the folks that people wouldn't know. Um, are, are folks that have uh, not necessarily succeeded, but failed so many times that their story of timing, uh, how they built their company, their team, uh, what they went through, the hardships that they went through, uh, uh, their post-mortem uh, effect of why it was uh, uh, failing, to me is a lot more important. Um, and, and when I think about you know, the frameworks we build uh, and the folks to talk to, it's a lot of these folks that have spent time. right On the data science side, we're not trying to talk to the folks that have built uh, data science houses that have been successful. We're, we're, we're talking to the folks that were er- at the early innings of trying to create uh, uh, frameworks on the investing side, what worked, what didn't. Um, and then a lot of what we learn, uh, and again, I, I admire is our own portfolio of companies, of our founders that failed. Um, what happened? What did they do right or wrong? Uh, what are the things that we could have learned quantitatively and, and see these leading indicators um, that were helpful? Uh, and, you know, again, like I said, cliche beyond even my father, but almost every single one of our portfolio founders, and anytime they do anything, um, regardless of success or failure, I admire it uh, because the the process that they had to go through to to come up with those concepts of executing, just like I had in the past, there's just so many variables. And what, and what I really like to tie to try to do is spend time. And how do I get them to write more of that stuff down? I, I have this one CEO, uh, Ryan Breslow, uh, of a company called Bolt. He writes everything down, good and bad. And he, he's just so maniacal about it. Um, it's helped me to sort of think about how to take his best versions of what he does and apply that to uh, a portfolio and founders that I interact with. How do I bring that out to our tribe of founders that we interact with? Uh, and how can I help augment their own thoughts back onto paper and writing um, so that we, we can quantify some of these frameworks that might be common denominator. Uh, and so, and so that, those are, you know, people that I, that, that I look up to, um, you know, besides the, the typical names that are out there of, you know, books where you read and the people that, you know, you know of, of course I know some of these folks, but you know, a, a lot of w- their experiences are them rewriting history. And I always get a little, um, you know, skeptical of that because they've skipped over all the parts that were hard. And, and why do you skip the parts that are hard? As humans, we don't want to remember it. You know, I'm. It's really, it's really hard for me to go back uh, in a casual conversation and talk about all the pieces at low laps that was hard. Well, um, yeah. I, I, why do I really want to remember it? You know, when someone it, it, like the way in which society is structured is how do you validate from the outside in versus inside out? And, and I think that's hard. And so when you calibrate, um, I think it's always helpful to try to do that with people that have context into um, uh, unsuccessful attempts. Uh, rather than calling them failures, what are the things that you learn from that? And then how can you apply that, uh, those learnings and mindsets to the future of whatever you may be doing? And so I, I built software. Uh, and uh, I, uh, in the past, I'm building software with my colleagues today at a, a venture investment firm, um, which is a very different way of thinking about it. Because, you know, what's what's different about what we do versus other people? Well, we deploy capital. We have a product we sell to founders, to LPs. Uh, and our uh, uh, um, uh, uh, co-investment partners like other firms out there. And so what can we build to augment our time, our decision-making, our evaluation, 
uh, and our advice that we give. And, and, and those, in some cases, are industries in themselves and, and in some cases, it's just workflow that's specific to us. So, so I feel like I'm in another red ocean of social gaming all over again because, you know, what's the value proposition of venture capital? But, but it's fun because I'm, I, I also get to be at the forefront of working with really smart people that are building software for their verticals as well as uh, myself speaking the same language by building software and products uh, that can help me communicate uh, with the folks that we partner with. Amazing. Well, Arjun, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for uh, coming on and sharing some of your of your amazing stories and uh, looking forward to see what you build with, with Tribe. Thanks, Eli. Thanks for having me. And uh, uh, again, appreciate the time.